Hi, and welcome to Comchurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. Good morning. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all doing good. So we're going to be talking about, yeah, harvest and God's goodness today and it's um, that time of year. I'm sure you've seen the fields have all been gathered and, you know, lots of other churches will celebrate the harvest. And I was like, you know, we can't forget the harvest. We can't forget the goodness of God. And I wanted to speak about the goodness of God, which, you know, is quite a, um, what's the word, an upbeat preach for me. <laughs> I like the the nitty gritty weird stuff and but I just really felt compelled that over the next few weeks we just need to look at the goodness of God and um, it was prompted by I was listening uh, to Christian radio you're gonna get distracted by the birds aren't you <laughs> they're really cute aren't they little flying little birds but um, we were yeah I was listening to the radio and uh, the radio presenter on there was sharing a testimony about how a couple really needed a car and um Long story short, God gave them a car. Now, we've heard testimonies like that. That's nothing super unusual about that. But what I found really interesting was that he kind of prefaced and kind of gave a disclaimer that was longer than the testimony of, and we know that God doesn't always answer prayers like that. We know there are lots of people that need a car and God hasn't given them a car. And we know that, you know, we're not into preaching the prosperity gospel. So we know it doesn't always happen. And, da, da, da. and I was like, gosh, when did we start apologizing for God's goodness? Like, when did we start adding disclaimers to, to God's goodness? Like, there is a, this is a testimony. And, um, and longer than the testimony was almost the disclaimer <laughs> about the testimony. And we know, don't we? We're all here. We know that things don't always get answered how and when we want them to be answered. We know that. But the thing is, why, did, have we, why should we ever start apologizing for God's goodness? And, you know, there are different things that we pray for. There are different things that we might be asking God for. You know, we might be praying for a car. We might be praying for a house, for the wife, for the Category 4 hurricane to come and so you miss the first day of school. Although that one did get answered for Elliot. So, <laughs> you know, there's lots of different things that we might pray for. But if we're all honest here as well today, is there some that we're glad God didn't answer? Are there some things that we prayed for, maybe very earnestly at first, but when we look back, we're like, okay, I'm glad you didn't answer how or when I thought that was going to answer. So, we know that. And we know that God is not a genie that we just rub on the lamp and poof, what do you want? We know that that's not what God is for. We know that's not there. But, but God is good. And I think in that, we can almost be hesitant to say that because there has been this uh, a prosperity gospel, whatever that's called. But it's almost if you want to say anything about God being good, you're lumped into the same category as a prosperity gospel teaching. And that's just not right because God is good. The Bible is full of his character, full of the promises. And we go right back to basics. Now, I'm sure the most of the junior church can quote John 3:16, But that just shows God's goodness. He was so good that he loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is God's goodness. It's a basic scripture. It's a, it's a scripture we all know. But that was part of God's goodness. And so I've got just a few scriptures you can take 
a picture of the screen if you want to, because I've not put all of that out there. But in this, again, something that has happened in the past is often one scripture can be taken out of context or something can be taken out of context. And, and for whatever reason, someone for their own personal gain may quote scriptures about God's goodness and about his faithfulness. But the fact is the Bible is full of it. God is good. Church, I want to convince you this morning that just by reading the scriptures in the Bible, just by reading them as they are, as they are without any more explanation that God is good. 1 Chronicles 16.34, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 23, 6, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Nahum 1, 7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. I love that Nahum one because if you read the rest of it, if you read the rest of Nahum, it's, it's all tragic. It's super tragedy. But in that, even with the super tragedy, even when God is so angry with Nineveh, Nahum still has to declare that God is good. So even when things looked awful or tragic or we just see this this angry God or, or just God or righteous God, he is still good. He still needs to be declared as good because that is still who he is. And however hard it may have seen, it was still for their good. And Matthew 5, 45, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So he shows his goodness even to those that don't believe it, even, even to those that don't deserve it. He still shows his goodness. That's how good our God is. And then some more, Psalm 27, 13, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, this is an amazing scripture, not just grin and bear it until we get to heaven. But these are these promises. God, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Does anyone need to just take a moment and declare that over themselves right now? I will see the goodness. I remain confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 31, 19, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. So you see, God has, God is good and he has plenty of goodness ready for all of us. It's not a prosperity gospel. It's God's character. It's who he is. But then if God's goodness only equals things or stuff in your mind, then you've missed the point of the goodness. You've completely missed the whole point of what God's goodness is. It's so much more than just stuff. It's so much more than just things. And some of you might be listening, maybe not in the Perflections gang, because I know you're all very holy and very good, but some might be listening going, <laughs> like Job, and his Job 21 rant. I love his Job 21 rant. How can you even say that God is good? Look at the unrighteous. Look at the sinners. God, they seem more blessed than I am. Like, how, Sarah, how can you even tell me that God is good? Can, have you know the day I've had, the month I've had, the year I've had? Like, seriously, how can you even tell me that God is good? But he is, he is good, I promise you. But in the midst of the tough stuff, that's when we need those promises of God's goodness. You know, there's nothing like planning a series whoop, and a sermon 
on God's goodness and then having your week slowly melt into mini disasters. So I started planning last Sunday and then, oh no, a couple of weeks ago actually, it was about 10 days ago, I started planning and went away and I thought I'm going to have some lovely holy rest and I'm going to walk on the beach with my dog and the Lord is going to speak to me through the clouds and he's going to anoint this word and give me all of this message. And uh, no, my nice, lovely, relaxing holiday. It was lovely, but I just went from series of mini disaster to mini disaster. So I started, I, I locked myself out of my parents' house, which was great, and locked the dog inside the house. And uh, then had to send my nephew through a window <laughs> to get me back in the house because the other key was 200 miles away. And the other option was to get a locksmith, which would have been 200 pounds. So I was like, but again, in that, it was a little mini disaster. It, I did have a little panic, but we prayed. And again, I saw God's goodness in this because I set my nephew to bed. He's only six. I sent him to bed, tucked him in. And I said, okay, let's pray. Let's pray that God will give us a way through this situation. I'm like, everything. They're like, Auntie Sarah, why do you talk about Jesus all the time? Everything's about praying of Jesus to you. And I was just like, yes, thank you. I, I don't know. I don't think that's how he meant it. But anyway, I took it. And uh, so I tucked him in and we just said, Jesus, please just give us a way that we can get into this house without grandma and granddad having to come home and without me having to spend 200 pounds. And he just lay there and it was all quiet. And he said, what if someone could fit for a window? And I was like, yes, God has just given you the answer. And then long story short, he was the hero of the tale. He got through the window, helped us in. And then I had to phone my parents and tell them what I'd done. So that was a bit scary too. I was 12 years old all over again. And then I'm, it's unfolding. I'm trying to concentrate on this word. And then I come home and I think, right, home, relax. And I've got putrefying bananas that have dribbled all the way down the refrigerator. And just gross things, little incidental things, but they're just gross. And then I lost my lead when I took my dog for a walk. And that was just a nightmare. But again, God provided some lovely lady to say, here, I've got a spare one, take it. But they were just little things that were sent in the week just to irritate, just to annoy, just to get your mind off the thing. And then no doubt then obviously my family, entire family being stuck in another country, not being able to fly home because of Hurricane Dorian. So that was quite interesting too. But anyway, so how can you talk of God's goodness in all of that? But all of those things pale into insignificance when I was so moved last week by Sherl and Steve's testimony. And if you didn't hear them at Cafe Conscious's how do you see God's goodness when their, their son was murdered and the killers were set free, yet they could still stand there and say God is good? So that is something that shows me that it's not just something you name and claim, you declare until you feel that there's something deeper there. There is something deeper that they could stand and say that God is good, even though that was their experience. And that was amazing you know, we know Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Often misquoted that God works all things together for good. And then we're disappointed when he doesn't. We're disappointed when we don't think that everything's good. But it's those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Again, he's not just a genie that we just go, right, poof, work, work it all to good. But equally, is it just a cute fridge magnet or a cute plaque that we'll have in our house? But do we actually say in the middle of when things are rough, God, okay, you've promised me 
that you will work all things to good. I'm serving you. I'm loving you. I'm called according to your purpose. God, I need to see that goodness. And we can pray that back to God. We can, we can say, God, it's in your word. You declare it. Do we trust him in the middle of the crazy? Do we trust him and keep our eyes on him that he genuinely will accomplish good? So we're talking about harvest and we want our harvest. We want our blessing. We want to experience the goodness of God. Well, I was going to say, don't worry, we have taken the offering, but we haven't. But that's not where I'm going, so it's fine. Don't worry. It's not an offering preached this morning. We will have taken the offering. But again, stop thinking in just material terms. It's not just about material terms. It's not about money, cars and holidays. How can any of that help in deep grief? How would any of that help? I don't know about you, but in that time of real despair or real sadness or real need... There's no amount of money or houses or cars or anything that's going to comfort you. What you need and why people can still say that God is good is because what do we read in the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. You want God's comfort. You want to know that he is there right there with you. And let me tell you, that is where God's goodness really shines. That is where God's goodness really does come through. So... This uh, scripture I'm just going to kind of base around now quickly this morning. Um, It just came to my attention like four times last week. So I'd heard it um, and I went to a little uh, church that my sister and my mum and dad go to in Dorset. We went there and they read it there. And um, I was listening to a podcast and then on the way home and the guy, his main scripture was this. And then I heard that it was actually shared in church last week. which was really interesting. And then when I was, uh, we met Sherl and Steve from the Cafe Conhuses, we met them on Monday morning and they said, this is one of the scriptures that got them through that really they cling on to. And it was really amazing. And, and talking about the harvest and I thought, okay, God, this is somewhere you want to go. And it's in John 12, 24. And I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. And it says, let me make this clear. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat all because one grain died. The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. But the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. If you want to be my disciple, follow me and you will go where I am going. And if you truly follow me as my disciple, the Father will shower his favour upon your life. I love that scripture. There is so much in just that one scripture. And I'm also going to read it to you from the Amplified Version. That should come up on the screen too. So I assure you and most solemnly say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, just one grain, never more. But if it dies, it produces much grain and yields a harvest. The one who loves his life eventually loses it through death. But the one who hates his life in this world and is concerned with pleasing God will keep it for a life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must continue to faithfully follow me without hesitation, holding steadfastly to me conforming to my example in living and if need be suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me and wherever I am in heaven's glory there will my servant be also if anyone serves me the father will honor him 
you know, there and in the NIV, Jesus talks about hating our lives as in nothing, even life itself is anywhere near as important as serving Jesus. Now, the Greek word for hate in most of the New Testament scriptures is myseo. But even that one word has many different meanings. There's about six or seven different variations of that meaning. And according to Strong's Concordance, in this particular scripture, it means of disregard for one's life relatively to the claims of Christ. So the passion there really explains that well, doesn't it? We detach ourselves. Now, it's easy to sit there and, and go, yeah, totally, I've got that. But let me tell you, when I've started thinking about this, I'm like, Lord, can I even bring this this morning? Because I love my life too much. Not in I love my life, but I care about how comfortable my life is <laughs> way too much. And reading this scripture has really challenged me because I have been known to dramatically go, I hate my life sometimes. <laughs> and I've got nothing to complain about. Do you know, I, honestly, I've got nothing to complain about. But I have been known and the hissy fits are when we're worried about our comfort. So this has really challenged me this week so much that can we really say that into the relativity to Christ of what Christ has done for us, of the message that we're here to give, can we truly say that we think of that more than our comforts, more than our life, more than what we're going to do, more than our job, more than our relationships, more than our comfort, more than that? Because I've got to be honest and tell you, I'm not there yet. I am not there yet. And it's been a, a rub and a challenge. And... Um, and God has really challenged me to say, okay, Sarah, you need to let the grain of your life, you need to let that die. You need to let the grain of your plans and your desires, which is kind of an oxymoron because then God says, you know, if we delight in him, he will give us the desires of our heart. So this is the thing. Remember, this is the goodness of God. So we're talking about dying and death and it sounds hideous. But the fact is we serve a good God, a God that wants more for us, that knows us better than we know ourselves. So in trusting him and in saying, okay, God, I die to my things, trusting that you are a good God, trusting that you know better than I. And I, the challenge I kind of want to bring today is what is the seed that you're holding on to? What could that seed be that needs to die? As I said, for me, it's, it's, it's the plans or how I feel like my life should pan out, how I feel like I should go through and everything should just be wonderful all the time. <laughs> and I've got to let that die and plant it so that trust in the Lord and God's harvest can grow. Because when we trust and we follow him, we know that a great harvest will be brought about. But it takes time as well, doesn't it? So this morning, what is it? Is it the seed of your plans that has to die? Is it the seed of intentional sin that has to die for the harvest? Maybe it's the seed of control. Maybe the seed of independence, that you'll keep God as a side order. He's something that you'll come and do on a Sunday morning, but the rest of the week, it's, a, it's your, you are in control. It's all about you. Maybe the seed of some relationships coming before God needs to die. Maybe the seed of the right to a carefree, happy, comfortable life needs to die. Maybe the seed of an offence needs to die. There are hundreds of things that it could be. There are plenty of things, good and not so good, 
Sometimes they are good things, but we need to give them to God and let them and plant them, let them die. Because in that, if we just hold on to our one little seed, especially with forgiveness, and this is what we were talking to Cheryl and Steve about, is they realised that they could not feel the true goodness of God until they had given the forgiveness, until they'd let that seed of unforgiveness die, the harvest of the comfort wasn't there. And I hope that makes sense. And that's the thing is sometimes we have to plant in faith, we have to plant forgiveness. We don't want to forgive that person. That person doesn't deserve forgiveness. We don't want to have to do that. But when we read our Bible, there is no choice. Forgiveness is a requirement. We forgive and that's how we're forgiven. So if you want to be forgiven, and I know I need God's forgiveness in my life, we must forgive. But allowing that seed of unforgiveness to die, to plant it and replace it with trust in the Lord, then means the harvest of that comfort like you've never known. That comfort, that just knowing that God has got you, it's the most amazing thing. Because God is good, we serve a good God. And then once we've got that, another difficulty is then we start digging it up, don't we? So we've made that choice on a Sunday morning. We're praising, we're worshiping. Yes, God, I trust you. You're awesome. You're amazing. I'll do anything for you. I'll go anywhere for you. I could do anything, Lord. And then it could literally be before you're even at the car park on a Sunday morning and you're like, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> and you start digging and you start looking at your seed again and you start going, oh, no, I'm just going to sit here with my seed. Me and my seed, bless God, are going to be happy and we're going to sit here together. And God's like, come on, put it back in the ground. If you want the harvest, hold on. And we know, don't we, like, you know, we were talking in the week about farmers. They have to sow months before they'll get a harvest and they've got to leave it. They can't see whether it's germinating. They can't see for days, maybe even weeks, if it's doing anything under the ground. And if they dig it up, they'll ruin the whole process. They'll ruin the whole crop. So they've got to wait. It takes faith. It takes faith to bury that seed that seed that you might have had for a long time, it takes faith to let that die, to bury it and wait for God's harvest. And we have to try and leave it alone. Because we know, well, I love the scripture, doesn't it? That God says he will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So don't dig up that seed, leave it alone. And I just hope that again, that's just been a reminder today is that if that seed is in there, if you are trusting God for something, I want to remind you that God is good. He does good. He is fundamentally good. And that God will not be mocked. And then lastly, just to finish, there's a parable. Jesus told them a parable of the, um, the star. I'm, just, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to skim it through for time. And it's the parable of where the wheat was sown. 
says the son of man sowed the wheat, sowed the good seed. And then the enemy came in and sowed weeds. And they, and they said, oh, should we go and dig it up? And Jesus said, no, 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 leave it. Let it grow together. And this is the scripture we heard earlier, wasn't it? God produces the sun and the rain on the good and the evil, on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So he let the weeds and he let the wheat grow together. But then he said, at the end time, at the harvest, you will come in and gather the wheat and that will be the harvest. And then they will gather the weeds and they will be thrown into the fire. Now, this parable was really important as well, because then Jesus even explains it later on. You can find this all in Matthew 13 from verse 24. And the parable of that was, do you know what? We could be sat in church. We could go through the motions and not even realise that we're a weed and not the wheat. Because God does bestow goodness on us all. He does... We don't drop dead. We don't get what we deserve. We don't get all of those things because God is fundamentally good. But there is an end harvest. And let's all be very sure of that. And now I know most of us here today will be saved and we'll pray. We have no idea who will be in the next meeting. But the fact is that the wheat and the weeds can grow together, but there will be an end harvest. And it says the weeds will be picked up and thrown into the fire. Whereas the the weeds will be Jesus' harvest. Jesus had to die. He was that one grain. That very first scripture was about the grain. Jesus had to die so that we could be his harvest. We are his harvest all these thousands of years later. So just as we end today, I I know that I want everything that God has for me. I know that whatever that is, I want all that he has for me. I want his harvest. I know and I've given my life to him, not just I'm doing him a favour by turning up on a Sunday. And if I'm really brilliant, I might come to the prayer meeting because then I'm a proper Christian and and he's going to be really happy with me. Not that. I I need to give my life to Jesus 100% to the point where sometimes I think, God... What, what are you doing? And uh, you have to sit and you have to trust and you have to wait. And, you know, society, the world is all about us being happy, us wanting the right thing, having the best thing. And, and so we, we can change things. That's why people can walk from a marriage. People can walk from a family. People can they'll swap and change. And they're looking for that. They're looking for the goodness which we only find in Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage you this morning is that if you're in that dug down, waiting, dark time, just cling on. Don't give up. Don't get weary in well-doing because the harvest will come. Jesus will bring the harvest. But I want to trust God with my very life. I want to care less about the comfort of my life. I want to care less about things going my way can we honestly say Lord I detach I hate my life not in the negative sense but as Paul says I just I don't value it I don't value it as anything I'm here to serve the Lord and I just think that's an amazing challenge this morning thanks for listening to Com Church Talks we'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms for more information or to contact us please visit www 
comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.